Thanks, Micah and, and John. Um, I'd like to invite our children to head back to be with our children's team and transformation station there in the back. So you can see the children are helping hold signs this morning, putting some other uh, people to work, it looks like, since we have a little lighter crowd. But um, yeah, I'd like to echo John's thoughts, you know, as, uh, as he shared. It's great to see everyone and um, want to say a special thank you to our surf team. So, you know, this doesn't just happen uh, on a Sunday morning, but people get here early every Sunday to get set up, get the chairs out and the, the pipe and drape and, and all of this. But, um, but on a Sunday like this, it, it takes a, an extra special effort uh, for people to come together, fight through the snow, dig their cars out just like you did to get here, uh, but, but also to break a sweat shoveling snow out there. So um, let's just give it up real quick for our serve teams who work very hard. They don't do it for the uh, applause or thank you, uh, but at the same time, it's good to recognize those who serve. Uh, they're doing it because they love the Lord, and uh, that's, that's why uh, we all are pray- prayerfully doing, doing what we do. But um, if you have a Bible or you want to use one of the Bibles we provided for you there, uh, we're going to be in Galatians 6 this morning. So it is this week and, and next week, and then we are, we are done with our journey through the book of Galatians. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you there, it will be page 975. And uh, so this morning, I want us to think about the concept of a church as a family, okay? The, the church being a family. Now, now as we, we begin to think about this, I want to toss out a question to you. What makes a great family? I'm sure we could potentially have many answers to that question. But as you just sit there, as you think about maybe your own experience in life, good, bad, and different, uh, from what you've experienced, what you've observed uh, from others, how would you define a great family? What characteristics would make up a great family? I think probably if we were to throw a few out there, we would all agree that a family should be characterized by love. Is, is there really love there? Is there love between, uh, uh, you know, Lord willing, a husband and a wife? Is there love from a parent to a child? Uh, is there love between even siblings? Okay, sometimes that's more difficult, but is, is there love there? So, so love is a characteristic of, of a healthy family. Uh, I think another characteristic could be intimate knowledge. So I know that my parents, my sister, obviously now Marcia, my wife, they know things about me that they're not even some of my best friends, my closest friends in life know about me just because we were together for so long. And so there's this, there's this intimate knowledge that comes along with family. There's There's also, hopefully, a desire for the common good of one another. So members of a family should not only want to see one another flourish in the life that God has for each of us, but they should also really work to that end. So then we are making sacrifices together for one another to thrive and succeed and be fruitful and live the lives that God uh, intends for us to live. And so I think, I think if you kind of take all of those pieces, um, we could throw one other prominent word on there, and it's a word that I think we'll see again and again as we go through the text, at least the concept being togetherness. Okay, so a family is together. We're, we're walking together. We're journeying together through life in mutual support and encouragement of one another. Now, at Redemption Hill Church, 
One of our favorite metaphors that describes the church in Scripture is the the, the metaphor, the concept of family. The church is a family. We see this again and again throughout Scripture that God brings a people to himself. He is our father, and now we are his sons and daughters, and consequently, brothers and sisters together as family. And the primary encouragement, as we get into our text this morning, I want to give us, is that if we will live out the implications of being family together as a church, then this is what should happen. We should develop authentic relationships where mutual care exists. Okay, simple as that. We should develop authentic relationships where mutual care exists. So what I want to do is read the first 10 verses of Galatians 6, and then we're going to work our way through the text and see where all of this uh, begins to surface for us. So read along with me, if you will, Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. This is what Paul writes. Brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray together. Father, would you, like a good father, help us in these moments, even as you display your love and care for us and meeting with us this morning and sending your your spirit to to not only dwell in those who are in Christ, but to to open our eyes to see what is true in your word. And so God, it is our prayer this morning that as we, we dive into these verses and your truth, that as we've been talking about in Galatians, the, the, the great benefit of the gospel is that the gospel brings freedom. And so we just ask that your truth this morning would continue to set us free, that we might glorify you with our lives. We pray all this through Christ. Amen. Okay, so as we work through that text, I think you can see from the outset that this is a radically others-centered text. And what what happens is, is it's because this is such an others-centered 
text, forcing us to look beyond ourselves, what happens is it cuts against the natural inclination in all of our, he- our hearts, okay, myself included, to kind of want to focus on ourselves, right? And, and this not just happens in life in general as we're journeying through life, but it also happens quite naturally as we get involved in a church life, okay? So, so, so you know this, okay? I'm not trying to, to pick on anyone because I've walked a mile in your shoes. But a lot of times when people are kind of checking out a church, all right, and, and considering, you know, hey, should I maybe be a part of this church or that church? A lot of times we're driven by a set of questions that go something like this. What's in this for me? What can this church offer me? How can I be blessed by attending this particular church? And then we start kind of going through our mental grid, right? Like, I didn't care for that too much. Or, you know, the approach here, I would tweak that just a little bit. You know, the music was, was pretty good. Mike is great and everything. But, you know, it could, could be a little better. And the, the sermon, you know, I mean, we're not through yet. But, you know, the sermon, you know, the drive home, you know what I'm saying? Isn't that part of the conversation? What'd you think? You know, like... What'd you think about the sermon? It's like, yeah, I was like, all right. But, you know, you're like, what about this? And yeah, he doesn't sound, you know, that great. And so we just kind of start evaluating. But most of the time, our self-interest is just kind of loaded into that. But what I think happens when we, we get the kingdom of God and get Jesus and it's called to deny ourselves, and, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't be discerning, okay? I'm not saying, you know, go to any church and not listen if they're, they're faithful and, and to take those things natural, we take those things into consideration. My point is this, when we come into a church life and then when we commit to a church and live out our faith in the context of a church, are we driven primarily by questions like that? Or are we driven by another set of questions that go something like this? What can I give to this church? How can I be a blessing to these people? What can I do to come into this group of people and give myself away for the sake of someone else? See, it's entirely appropriate to be looking at a text like Galatians 6 as we enter in, as we kind of journey through this Christmas season, because Christmas is all about the generosity of God, God giving his son to us, God sending his son on our behalf that he might meet our need for him and that we might receive the blessing. And so we looked at last week the Spirit, how the Spirit takes and applies everything that Jesus came to bring us. And that was the challenge for us to experience this this rich season of Christmas in light of everything Jesus came and died and rose again to bring us. And consequently, we can piggyback on that this week and say, once again, look at what Jesus came to bring to us And now we have the privilege of reflecting him with our lives and living for his glory. So what I want to do is give you just two ways that we can develop authentic relationships in the life of a church and take the posture of Christ-likeness, which would say, hey, I am here to die to myself and give myself away. Okay, so number one, demonstrate. How are we going to demonstrate mutual care? Demonstrate mutual care through accountability and burden bearing, okay? Demonstrate 
mutual care through authentic accountability and burden bearing. So, so we look at the first verse of Galatians 6, and he starts off and he says brothers, okay? This is a Greek word that referred to both brothers and sisters, siblings in a family, all right? And so he says, says, says brothers and sisters in a family, here's what you should do, all right? If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so, so when Paul says if anyone is caught, this word caught seems to imply that there is unintentional wrongdoing going on. There's unintentional sin. Now, now you know, hopefully, if, you, if you've lived long enough, if you have people that are willing to have, you know, good, honest, loving conversations with you, that there are just some times in life when we are, we are going about our business and we have these blind spots in our lives where we may be deviating from God's will and we need someone to come in and help us to see, hey, you're missing the mark in this area. Or have you thought about this? I mean, this happens in, in all kinds of situations and circumstances. Maybe you're making a purchase and, and you need someone to say, hey, you know, I, I see why you would like to have that particular item, but have you considered this? Maybe you can save a little bit of money. I mean, this, this happens over and over and over again in life. And so sometimes there are things that we're doing that we don't see and we need someone to come alongside of us and help us to, to uh, be drawn back into God's plan and heart for our lives. So if that is true, that when we are, are, are caught in a transgression, we need someone to come in and help us to see that, then how much more is it true, arguing kind of from the lesser to the greater, that when we are in willful sin against God, that we need someone to come to us and say, hey, look, you need to reconsider this area of your life and be drawn back into the path of Christ. So, if we are struggling in sin. If we see someone struggling with sin, here, here are the options, okay? And this just naturally happens in your life, okay? Option number one, you can ignore it, right? You see someone, you know, not living for God. And so the first option is just, just to ignore it. Just kind of turn a blind eye. Say, you know what? It's probably going to work out in the end. And just, just kind of uh, ignore that. Another option uh, similar to that is to dismiss it. Okay? You just, you say, you know what? Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of blowing it in this area. But I'm just going to kind of sweep that under the rug. We won't deal with that. And we'll just kind of set it to the side. Another option is to justify it, right? We're really good at this, but particularly with ourselves, but even with, with, with the struggles of those around us, we will say, oh, you know what? Man, they have, they have this sin in their life, but you know, all of these circumstances, man, they're under a lot of stress, you know, uh, they, they, they have, you know, X, Y, and Z going on. And so we just kind of not only justify our own sin, but we also justify the sin of others, Another option, a fourth option, is to broadcast someone's sin. I guess we can ignore it. We can dismiss it. We can justify it. We could also broadcast it. Hey, did you, you know, see what such and such? Did you hear what they said to them? Okay, so that's obviously not a biblical response. In fact, none of these first four are biblical responses. So what is the, the proper response? What's the, what's the biblical way to go about this? Well, the fifth option is to help them eradicate sin in their life. 
Perhaps some of you weren't here last week or you missed the, the sermon online last week. We looked at life in the Spirit and we, we saw where Paul says, look, if, if Christ has set you free, then you're not free just to live however you want to live, but you're free now to live in the power of the Spirit to produce godliness in your life. And so that is the goal. And so what we want to do is we want to eradicate sin in our own life, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And even as we have that attitude, as we look in the mirror of our own life, we want to have that attitude with our brother and sister because we want them to thrive in the life that God is setting before them. So how do we, how do we go about this? And verse 1 is super clear on some principles for what this can look like in our lives and in the life of our church. Okay, so, so, so number one, we ask, who should be doing this work? Who should be doing the work of bringing others back to Christ? That's always the goal, okay? So Paul is going to say, those who are walking by the Spirit, those who are spiritual, brothers, if anyone is, of you is caught in any transgression, let those who are spiritual go to restore them. So, so this is, again, pointing back to chapter 5. This is, these are referring to those who are walking by the Spirit of God, who, who are striving after God. Also an imperfect person who doesn't have it all together, and yet someone who is the, the general pattern of their life is godliness, Christ-likeness, and someone that has the maturity to say, hey, you know what? I don't have it all together. In fact, I probably have some logs sticking out of my eyes that I need you to help me to see. And yet, because I see this going on in your life, because I love you so much and I care about your walk with God, I'm going to talk to you about this issue that is going on in your life of sin. So, so these people won't have a, a sense of superiority in any way. We're going to see that pop up a couple of times through the text, but a, a real, a real uh, sense of humility seeking to help uh, the brother or sister. Now, what is the goal of this work? The goal is always restoration, all right? Those, those who are spiritual should restore them. Okay, so, so the goal again is if, if life is a path and we see this metaphor throughout scripture, a path of wisdom, a path of folly. If you go back and look at the Old Testament, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, enter through the narrow gate. Narrow is the path that leads to life and few find it. So, so the idea is that someone has, has deviated from the path of wisdom, the path of life, and so the goal then is to go call them back to walking on the path of life, the path of Christ, which is also, as we've seen in the book of Galatians, the path of freedom. All of this is to help restore them spiritually to close, intimate fellowship with God. And we know that when we are in close fellowship with God, then we will necessarily be in closer fellowship with one another. So, so that's the goal. But how do we go about this? Well, we go about it in a spirit of gentleness and humility. So once again, we can't emphasize this enough, okay? On the one hand, let's be clear, it takes a lot of courage a lot of sometimes maybe boldness 
And I would say most importantly, love that is driving this to say, you know what, I love you so much that I am willing to have the courage to be honest with you about what I'm observing in your life. But not only does it take honesty and courage, it also takes humility and gentleness to say, once again, hey, I don't have it all together, but as a fellow journey sojourner, someone that's journeying to Christ and in Christ, I want to help you be restored back to him. So, so Paul is going to say this, that, that as you go and you confront someone in their sin, to be careful because once again, you are not beyond this sin in your life. What does he say at the end of verse 1? Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So I know we're just, we're just kind of naturally prideful. And so we often think, man, I would never struggle with that particular sin. I mean, don't, don't lie. It's just you, you've, you've been there, right? You hear this or that about someone or you see something happening. You're like, man, I would never go there. And yet the Bible tells us that because of the wickedness in our hearts, apart from the grace of God, we are capable of any sin, great or small, in our lives. So this is why we go with humility, watching out lest we too fall into the same kind of sin. Then, then, then Paul goes on in verse 2, and he says, I think, really flowing out of what he just said in verse 1, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so this is what family relationships look like. This is what a community of faith should look like. Is because we care so much about one another, we are willingly bearing one another's burdens as we travel through life. Now, if we were just to ask for a show of hands and we were all being honest in here today, I would, I would venture to say that Every hand would go up if I asked if you had any kind of burden going on in your life right now. So some, some burdens are, are pretty light, and they don't require a lot of assistance from others. But, but even still, it's good to have help with the little burdens in our life. But then we also know that there are heavier burdens that we carry. And so the beautiful thing, the beautiful truth about the way God has designed the church is that every single one of our burdens, we were never designed to carry them alone. God places people in our lives and say, you know what, you're going through that financial challenge, that struggle in your work, that sickness, that illness, that, that relational uh, a rift that you have that you need to work through. All of these things that could potentially be circumstances or, or, or challenges, trials, he gives us one another that we might carry them together. And in the context, don't, don't miss that this is just coming off what he said about if anyone is caught in any transgression. The greatest burden that any of us carry in life is the burden of our sin. Right? 
I hope you would say that, man. It's, 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 it's a big deal when we have, you know, financial hardship. It's a big deal when we, you know, have challenges at work or, or relational, you know, tension or sickness or illness. All of those things matter. And we always want to know those things in our church so we can pray for one another. But the greatest burden that we carry is the burden of our sin. So, so here's my challenge to us, and I, I, I'm looking in the mirror saying this to myself. Could we grow in being a church? I believe this is happening. In fact, I know it's happening, okay? So, so this, is, this is more an encouragement to continue what we're doing, but grow in what we're doing. Could we be a church that actually gets below the surface and stays below the surface in terms of sharing our struggles with one another that we might collectively grow in Christ. If anyone says we, that he is without sin, he deceives himself and the truth is not in him. Okay, so that's what 1 John uh, chapter 2 says. So we know, maybe it's the end of chapter 1, I think it's the end of chapter 1, sorry. Um, but, but, but the point being that we all have sin in our life. We all have temptations that we are regularly bombarded with. And so, so the beauty of God's plan is he doesn't just say walk by the Spirit and then good luck, go do that on your own. But he says walk by the Spirit and do it in the context of community where you can really share below the surface heart issues with one another and you can grow in godliness together. That's God's plan for us as his church. So do you regularly bear the burdens of those around you? No, no, let me just make a simple observation. To bear the burdens of your brother or sister means you need to know what those burdens are. And this cuts both ways. Number one, we need to be actively involved in one another's life to the point that we're, we're checking in, we're asking one another, hey, how are you doing? How can I be praying for you? Is there any kind of burden that you're carrying that I can shoulder with you to ease the load, all right? But also, on the, on the other side of that, we have to be willing to share. So, so there can be sometimes this, this deal where it's like, man, no one cares about me. Man, I've got this issue going on in my life and, and no, one, no one's asking about me. No one's praying for me. No one's really checking in. But, 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 but to be honest, no one even knows that you have the burden because you haven't opened yourself up, right? So, so we have to be willing to say, you know what? Man, I have this, this challenge. I have this burden, man. This is really weighing me down. This, this sin, this, this area of my heart, this, these works of the flesh that we looked at in chapter 5. Man, I, I, I struggle with envy. I struggle with impurity, sexual immorality. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling in, in, in my, my worship of God because I'm loving these other things more than him. And I just need you to pray for me and help encourage me with the word. See, we have to be doing both. We have to, to live in community together. 
So, so that's why at Redemption Hill, we would say it's not enough. Okay, Sundays is very important, which is one of the reasons why with seven inches of snow last night, you know, it's always our bent to say, hey, we're going to gather for worship. And if five people can gather for worship, that's five hearts that are coming together to, to sing praises to God and to, to be fed from the word and to seek to live the word out. Okay, so it's always our bent to, to come on Sunday to worship. But we would also say, hey, Sunday is really, if we're all being honest, it's really not enough. It's just not enough. See someone for an hour and a half a week. Maybe have a little 30-second side conversation. What's up? How you doing? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'll see you next week. You know, and it's kind of like, that's the, the level of depth. I'm not trying to poke fun at that. God can do a work in those 30 seconds. Or those 30 seconds come three minutes or a 10-minute conversation. Whatever. We see that happening on Sunday. But, but the encouragement here is to consider, hey, how can I more deeply invest in the life of this church or a local church where really deep, authentic relationships can happen. And so one of the ways that we set this up at Redemption Hill is by having small groups. We call our small groups community groups. Community groups are, are, are small groups of people that come together once throughout the week where we come together and we, we hang out. We, 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 the, the, the kind of churchy word for that is we fellowship together, right? Ever heard of that? Like we fellowship, you know? It means we just, we just share life together. We, we catch up. We, 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 we share what's going on. We pray together. We discuss the Bible together and seek to apply it to our lives. We even have a time of what we call encouragement and accountability where we, where we again, kind of dive a little deeper to say, hey, this is what's happening in my life. I see evidence of God's grace here, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Man, Jesus is producing this in me. But over here, I have been a little unkind to my wife this week. I was a little a bit of a smart aleck, you know, and, and I've been a little impatient with, with God's plan for my life, and I need prayer in those areas. And that's what happens in our community groups. So it's, it's a context, it's a way for us to live as family, to share burdens together. And, and here's the beautiful thing, all right? As we see in, in verse 2, when we bear one another's burdens, what happens? What does it say? We do what? We fulfill the law of Christ, Right? We fulfill the law of Christ. Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 5, the law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. And where does he get that? Well, I think he gets it from Jesus, where Jesus in John 13 is saying, a new command I give you, love one another. And what's new about it is that we are to love one another as he has loved us. So in a, in a family that is defined by Christ, we are a Christian family, the goal is that our love would mirror Christ's love for us. And, and just off the cuff, what does Christ's love look like? It's a love that takes the first step. That's the incarnation. That's Christmas. It's, it's a love that moves toward us. It's a love that doesn't wait for, for something to, you know, come to light. But it's a love that is pursuing someone else. Active. Sacrificial. It's, it's humble. It's a servant-oriented love. How can I put you above myself? This is the love of Christ. So I love what 1 Peter 1, says. It says, that now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, here's the command, love one another deeply. 
from the heart. Love one another deeply. Let's get below the surface. Let's love one another from, from hearts that want to see one another thrive for the glory of God. All of this flows from our relationship with Christ. Look, look in verse 3. It says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So Paul is just going to kind of wrap up this section by saying, look, if, if, if you think you have it all together, then you're probably not going to be in a position to go and bear someone else's burden, namely because you think that your time is too precious, your agenda is, is too tight, too, too, too perfect for you to give up and sacrifice like Christ has done for you to then go and bear someone else's burden. And so, so, so again, we go with humility. We go not thinking we have it all together. And we also go, even as we're responsible for each other, we also go realizing that we are responsible for ourselves. There is a corporate responsibility to my walk with God. And there is also an individual responsibility where one day there is such, a, there is such an eschatological to this passage. And that's a very fancy theological way of saying that there is, there is a, a final judgment that is to come. There is a time when all of us will stand before God and we will give an account for our lives. And on that day when we stand before God, God is not going to say, Tanner, hey, um, you know, how did, how did uh, uh, Matt you know, kind of, kind of do with his life, okay? I mean, now granted, in my judgment, in God's judgment of me, my concern for Matt will be part of that, but ultimately, he is going to hold me individually responsible for the life that I've lived, and I will give an answer for it. I will give an account for it. So that's where when Paul's saying each one will have to carry his own load, it's, it's more of a, a picture of like a backpack, not a, not a crushing burden that we need someone else to help us carry, but a backpack that we are, are to fulfill the responsibilities that God has entrusted to us to live our lives for him. So if we're going to develop this, this mutual care of accountability and burden bearing, yes, we must be radically other-centered, being willing to enter into these family relationships, but at the same time realizing that we must be personally responsible for how we are living our lives before God. Now I know that some of this kind of, hey, let's do life together, let's share our struggles, let's open up about our sin and our life. I know that kind of gives some people the jitters, you know, it's like, hey, I don't, I don't even tell my you know, closest friend about my, my, my heart struggles. How am I going to open up with people other than, than them? But, but let me just give you three encouragements to this, okay? Number one, the gospel levels the playing field, all right? And what do I mean by that? Well, we'll see, you see, the gospel tells us that, that God created us all for him, to worship him, to love him, to serve him. But the gospel also tells us that we all have blown it and not worshiped God with our lives. That we all, in fact, have sin in our life and that sin has separated us from God. 
So, so, so I don't have to worry if I'm hanging out with Adam or if I'm hanging out with Mike. I don't have to worry like, like if, if they have some sin in their life because I know they do. And, and that also frees me up to be vulnerable, which is the second encouragement to say, you know what? Because the gospel shows me that, that I don't have it all together, man, I can share my burdens, my sin with Mike and Adam and say, you know what? Man, pray for me because I have been struggling in this area, not bearing the fruit of the spirit that God wants me to bear. You see that? The gospel shows us that we need grace, but the gospel also provides grace by which we can have a relationship with God. So perhaps you've come in on this snowy morning and you don't really know that you have a a relationship with God today. You you don't know that if if we're talking about that judgment, that one day if you stood before God, that, that, that God would welcome you into his presence for all eternity because you, 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 you may be resting in your own righteousness, your own works before God, rather than the work of Christ that is our righteousness, our way to have a relationship with God. So if that's you today, man, I want to invite you to cry out to God. Say, God, I need you in my life. I want forgiveness for my sin through the grace that is offered through Jesus. Salvation comes and it turns our life upside down in the best possible way and then it enables us to live as Christian community every day of our lives. So the gospel levels the playing fields. Number two, the encouragement would be to practice transparency, okay? Practice transparency by being available, approachable, and vulnerable. Just what we talked about. So in our community groups, okay, when you, when you show up, all right, if you aren't in a community group yet, okay, I'm just gonna, gonna just use the prophetic, you know, kind of, hey, in the new year, when, when, we, when we, you know, put those, those options out for, for involvement in a community group, when you go, we're not kind of expecting you to like open up your journal and say, you know what, hey, here's my life, man, I'm a wreck, help me out, all right? But what we encourage is this, self-paced vulnerability. You know, just, just kind of opening up, man, as, as those levels of trust are built up, as those levels of love and relationship are built up, because the cross shows us all of our need, we can open up and be transparent and vulnerable about these matters in our heart. And then finally, as has hopefully been communicated enough this morning, Focus on the goal, and the goal is always Christ-likeness. It's always the fruit of the Spirit. It's always ultimately the glory of God through us living lives that reflect Jesus. So, so this is how we can be living as family through accountable relationships, burden-bearing relationships. And I love to see this happening in our church. So, so, so the encouragement is to do, to do so more and more and more. Now, number two, not only do we need to, to demonstrate mutual care through accountability and burden bearing, but, but number two, we also can demonstrate this by doing good to one another. We see this in the final five verses uh, of our passage this morning. So let me just put this out there. You know from experience that the words of Jesus as recorded in Acts 20 are true. It is more blessed to give than to receive, right? So you know, whether that's an act of kindness that has nothing to do with with money, 
or finances, but you just give of your time, you give of yourself, I mean, there is a blessing wrapped up in that, that it really is better in God's economy to give rather than to receive. And so as we think about the heart of God, the generosity of God this Christmas, I want to encourage you to remember these words of Christ. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul is going to give us a few ways that we can be about that in the life of a church, okay? And the first one in verse 6 is very, very practical. He says this. He says, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches, Okay, so, so, so just to generalize this principle, people in the church of which I as a leader and a teacher in the church am one of the members in the church, it's our responsibility in the church to take care of the leaders of the church. So this has been a principle all throughout God's uh, system. And you look at the, the, the priesthood in the Old Testament all the way up through today with, 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 with Jesus saying, you know what, it's, it's okay. In fact, it's good to take care of leaders so that they can be freed up to do the work of the kingdom. And this is what we continue to see in the New Testament. So, so collectively, it's our responsibility and joy to contribute out of what God has entrusted to us that the mission of the church can continue to thrive and move forward. And one of the key components of that, obviously, are leaders who help keep things organized and going and teach the word that we can be built up in Christ. So just as a very practical encouragement, I would say as you, you're, you're planning your 2014 family budgets, personal budgets, consider, hey, what can I do to give back to God? And especially as that's worked out in the local church, okay? We're, we're a church that espouses grace giving in light of the grace of God and what he has graciously given to us. Man, we want to respond by giving graciously back to him. I can tell you that as a church plan, we don't totally pay our bills yet, all right? We're only three years in, and so we have been receiving external outside support like most every church plant does, but we are on a healthy trajectory toward self-sustainability in, in roughly two years from now. The reason for that is obviously because God has done a great work in our church, bringing usually a lot more people to get than this together on a given Sunday. But not just people that are coming, but people that get what it means to serve, what it means to live as family, and even what it means to give generously. So this is what it takes for a church to thrive. Man, we are about the mission of God, introducing people to Jesus that they might know the joy of the gospel. And of course, not just to take care of our leaders, that's just one portion of our budget needs, but so that ministry can be happening in Medford, so that we can take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So this is one way that Paul would say, hey, do good to one another. In the context of the church, make sure leaders, pastors, staff, are taken care of so that they can be about the work of ministry. But then he, he goes on to highlight how important it is to take, take care of one another. In verses 9 and 10, he says, Don't let us grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so this is, again, I think there, there is there is 
uh, financial stewardship involved here in light of the context of what he says in verses 6, 7, and 8, where it's easy just to say, yeah, I'll give some time, I'll, I'll, I'll serve, but, but sometimes because of how much money can be an idol in our culture, in American culture, sometimes it's kind of easier to put restrictions on, yeah, I'll give you my time, but I won't give you my finances. The primary tone of this passage is about monetary help. And so he says, let us do good to everyone, but especially the household of faith, especially brothers and sisters in our church family who may have some need. And so this is a a great time of the year for us to talk about this because we are an active church. By God's grace, God has given us some great opportunities to love and serve our community. And so we really get doing good to everyone, right? We want to love everyone that God providentially places in our path that has needs. That should always be the inclination of our heart. It doesn't mean that we can always do it, but it means that we want to help. But, but not only do we help those that are maybe outside of the church, but Paul says, make sure you especially take care of those inside of the church that have needs. So one of the goals for this year in 2013 was for us to establish a benevolence ministry where when people have physical, tangible needs in our church, we have a, a small fund to say, hey, we can help meet this need. Maybe we can help you pay part of a bill. Maybe we can help you with a bag of groceries. Maybe we can help you get from point A to point B uh, for, for this little window of time. So there are ways that we want to to help one another. But here's the beautiful part, okay? It's not just at a budget level. It's not just at a a large church level, but it's also as those needs arise in a community group. It says those needs, someone finds out about a need. Man, this family just lost their possessions. Someone stole a a bag of of clothes and they need some, some, some help this Christmas. Man, that just happened two weeks ago. Email was sent out. Six or seven people across community group lines came together to say, here are some, some of my resources that I can give to help someone in a time of need. It's beautiful to see God work in those ways. And then, and then let's come back to seven and eight, okay? I skipped them intentionally. Is that this really shows us the, why this is so serious. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, so once again, the judgment is in view. God is on his throne and God always has the last word in our lives. And so as Christians, we can, we can hear this and we can receive it as love from a father that says, I care about the way you live and to live generously and to give yourself away, to give your money away, to give your resources away so that others' needs can be met is a way that you show that I am your greatest treasure and you sow to the Spirit and you reap the things that the Spirit produces in our lives. So it's so easy to turn a blind eye and say, you know what, eh, I'm going I'm to pass on that, I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to be kind of selfish with what God has entrusted to us. But, but Paul would say, look, there is so much reward. 
when you sow to the things of the Spirit, when you walk in the ways of the Spirit, and you are generous to others in every possible way that generosity can be shown. So let me close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 through 8. Paul says in another place, a parallel passage, he says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. So here are the encouragements here. Paul says, look, if you sow sparingly, this is what's going to be reaped in your life. But if you'll sow, sow generously, bountifully, then God is going to produce much blessing. It doesn't mean that we're going to get rich. Okay, that's the prosperity gospel. Hey, give and you're going to receive tenfold. Okay, that's not what I'm saying at all here. So don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is as we sow to the Spirit, as we make kingdom investments, we're going to reap the rewards of the kingdom, which are usually not quantifiable in terms of dollars and cents, but in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generosity, self-control. So what Paul says is that if, if we do this, we will, we, will, we will reap bountifully. I love this. What do we see last week in Galatians 5? There is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. So in other words, there's no restriction. Do you remember this? I hope you did. I hope you've been living it out this week. I hope it was inspiring to you, all right? That, that we can be as liberal as we want to with love and joy and peace in our life because God is producing this in us. The same thing comes to our financial resources and our time and our talents and our skills and our gifts to say, if we will be a church that gives ourselves away radically for the sake of others, then there will be no lack on our end. We will experience so much spiritual blessing in this life. And oh, by the way, I do believe verse 8 is saying, and God's going to take care of you. He has all grace, all sufficient to make all, all things abound to you at all times. So there's so much motivation for us as a church to give ourselves away, to live as family, to care about one another's souls, to care about one another's lives, to make sure we're meeting these needs so that we can all collectively, as Redemption Hill Church, flourish in the things of God and let our light shine to the city of Medford and greater Boston so that all people might know this light of the world that came to live and breathe among us and die to give us life. We are a church that is about him. And all of this orchestrates a people that reflect him in all things.